Bow your heads in prayer. Lord, we come today to meet with you. As we sit and listen to your word, speak. Get our attention. Grant, Lord, that we would take your word to heart. In your name we pray. Amen. It was a come-to-Jesus moment. Don't worry, it's not our youth. These youth were on a mission trip, though. And all week long, there had been tension building between the boys and the girls in the group. The boys, some of them were being very disrespectful. And finally, one of the boys, thinking he was being funny, crossed the line. Quoted some scripture to the director of girls' ministry. Women should keep silent in the church. Ha, ha, ha. At the end of the evening, all the girls in the group were in tears. And so the pastor who was along took the boys off by himself, all 30 of them, and that was the come to Jesus moment. How dare you take scripture like that and use it as a weapon? Who do you think you are? Do you want somebody to treat your mother that way? Your sister? One of these girls might be your wife someday. By the time he was done, all the boys were in tears. (laughs) And they spent the rest of the trip making up for it on their own, making amends, apologizing, changing the way they acted. Had a moment like that in your life? Come to Jesus' moment? Moment when you were confronted with something? It can be a big moment, it could have been a small moment, it could be really significant, insignificant, maybe insignificant to others, but it wasn't to you. Often it's a crisis, right? A financial crisis, a, a job crisis, a marriage crisis, a health crisis. But it's a moment that causes you to do soul-searching. It's a moment when, whether you realize it or not, God himself meets with you in the midst of the crisis to help you to understand and come to grips with, first of all, who you really are, And who he really is. And he uses those moments to change you. That's what happens to Jacob in today's Old Testament reading. This is a real come to Jesus moment for Jacob. 
It's the climax of a crisis that's been building in his life, really all his life, but in particular for the last 20 years. 20 years, Jacob has been struggling with guilt over what he did to his brother, cheating him out of his inheritance. For 20 years, Jacob has been wondering, does Esau still want to kill me? For 20 years, Jacob has been afraid to go back home because of the unfinished business waiting for him back there. Now, things happened in those 20 years. Jacob got married. Jacob had a family. Jacob grew wealthy. And apparently after 20 years, Jacob decides, okay, by now, surely, the herd has faded or they've forgotten or he's been able to forgive. And Jacob packs up his family and leaves Uncle Laban and goes home. And that's when this report comes to him. Esau is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. The Bible tells us in the previous section to our reading that Jacob is terrified. Because all of a sudden he re realizes that this running away hadn't worked. That Esau is still angry. That Jacob still has unfinished business from the past. Well, folks, we all have unfinished business. Things we've hoped would just go away. Things we thought maybe time and distance would heal. Or at least people would forget. Right? It, sooner or later, though, we have to deal with it. Maybe a, a friend we betrayed. Maybe a lie that we told. Something we did that really hurt or did damage or did ongoing damage. A problem we have in our life. Most of the time, it doesn't just go away. And sooner or later, we have to go back and deal with it. Well, that's where Jacob is. Right? And God's been preparing him, living with the guilt. For 20 years, getting a taste of Jacob's own medicine and the, the fact that his uncle Laban was basically doing the same thing to him that he did to Esau, right? And then he's on his way back, and the final thing that tells Jacob he can't run anymore is Esau and his men coming towards him. God is getting him ready for what happens here in Genesis 32. Well, we read, or Eric read, that Jacob sends his family across the, the, the fort at Jabbok. 
And then there's this little phrase. It says, Jacob was left alone. And a man came and wrestled with him to daylight. I want you to think about that phrase. Jacob was left alone. He was right where God wanted him. Through a long time, God had not been able to get Jacob's attention. Jacob was busy. He was rushing around. He was making a living for himself, making himself busy and doing what oftentimes we do to try and avoid the things we're trying not to deal with, keeping ourselves so busy that we don't have to think about it. And God used this crisis to stop Jacob dead in his tracks. Slow him down and deal with him. Now folks, how many of you are living your lives at 90 miles an hour? How hard is it for God to get your attention? Oh, I know, you come here on Sundays. Maybe you spend a few moments every day in prayer, at least I hope you do. But how often does that not just get kind of left behind and forgotten? And how many times do you find yourself, you walk out of church and you think, oh, what was the sermon about? Or how soon do you forget what you read in the scriptures almost as soon as you read it? How easily does God's voice get lost in the cacophony of voices that we hear in life, get, get lost in the clutter? Folks, one way or another, God is going to get your attention. He's going to step in to slow us down get our attention. It could be a phone call. Middle of the night, dad is sick. You got to drop everything and come. It could be like the guy described in the sermon last week when he came home and his wife said, we're done. It could be a pandemic that shuts down the whole economy, trip to the emergency room. Folks, that's what happens to Jacob. God uses this crisis to come to him, moment when Jacob finally feels helpless, and God gets his full attention. Folks, that's when something really strange happens. Not the phone. A man comes out of nowhere, throws Jacob to the ground, starts to wrestle with him. Most bizarre thing in the text, right? Jacob had no idea who this man is. They wrestle all night. Neither one will give in. Jacob 
apparently doesn't want to appear weak in any way. I think maybe might have thought that maybe his life is at stake here. They wrestle until the sun comes up, until daybreak, and then this man does something which, if you think about it, is extremely unfair. The Bible says he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, you understand, and if you don't, I'll have, I'll have our medical people stand up and explain, this is excruciatingly painful. Jacob is rendered helpless, powerless. He will never walk again without a limp. How unfair. It's not fighting, right? I may ask you a question. You ever felt like God's being unfair to you? Like, God, why is this happening? Why is this going on? What did I do? This isn't right. Ever felt like that? I want to tell you something. To accomplish his greater purposes, God is willing to do things that seem Totally unfair to us. Why? Because he loves us. And if you have any doubts about that, I want you to think about what that big cross means. That big cross is all about the unfair, unjust thing that God allowed and purposed to be done to his son, that Jesus, though he had committed no crime, was arrested, though they could find nothing to charge with him, was put on trial, lied about, though they found him innocent, was sentenced to die anyway. Unjust, yes, unfair, absolutely, but God did it to accomplish our salvation. Because that's how much he loves you. Well, then look what the man says. Let me go. The day is broken. Jacob said, I, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man says to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob said to him, please tell me your name. He said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and my life has been delivered. You know how, you know how up until this point, you know how Jacob dealt with everything? He used his strength, his abilities, his cunning to get himself out of every jam. He could talk his way, trick his way out of anything until this moment. And now all of a sudden, all those things that, that made Jacob unique, they went out the window. None of them worked. None of them would get him out of this situation. Literally, 
he can no longer ever again run away. His hip had been broken. He would walk with a limp. The rest, he couldn't run away from Esau after God was done with him. That's what God desires in our lives. This is maybe something hard for us to understand. But he uses crises in our life, crises in our life, to bring us face to face with our own unfinished business, with our own powerlessness. When he breaks us, my friends, it's so that we can't run away anymore. So Jacob did the only thing he could do. He clung to that man and wouldn't let him go. Now see, somewhere, in, and we're not told when, somewhere in the night, Jacob has come to the realization that this man is not an ordinary man. Hosea tells us that it's the angel of the Lord that he wrestled with that night. This is God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, if you would. And so Jacob holds on to him for dear life and says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so the man says, well, what's your name? Now, doesn't that seem like a strange question? God knows what his name is. So why does he ask? He's saying, Jacob, are you at last ready to say who you really are? Because remember, his name means what? Heel grabber. His name Describe Jacob perfectly. Heel grabber, deceiver, liar, cheater. God is saying, say it, Jacob. How hard is that? To face the truth about yourself. To confess it. How hard. Most of us would lie, we'd excuse, we'd blame, we'd run away rather than have to admit it. But here in this moment, Jacob finally says it. My name is Jacob. And then God does the most marvelous thing. Right? Jacob finds out that when you lose to God, you win. <laughs> right? It's when, that's when the Lord blesses him. That's when the Lord gives him a new name. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. No longer are you going to be known as a liar and a cheater and a con artist. Now you're going to be my child. No longer will you be the man who can get along on his own. In that night of wrestling with God, Jacob came to know the most important thing that he could, any man could ever know. He came to know that God knew everything about him and loved him 
anyway. Think about that. He didn't have to lie anymore. He didn't have to cheat. He didn't have to con anyone. From now on, he could walk. With, there are going to be troubles to come yet. We know that. But from now on, he could walk through life with God. Limping all the way. Leaning on God's power. Not his own. God seeks to do the same thing in your life and mine. To get us to the point where we can say it. My name is liar. My name is greed. My name is gossip. My name is lust. My name is bitterness, whatever it is. So that once having faced the truth, we can learn the great lesson that God knows everything about you and me and loves us anyway. All those moments of crisis, God uses to teach us that being broken of our stubborn self-reliance is really a win, not a loss. The young man who crossed that line, quoted that scripture, he's a director of Christian education today, somewhere out on the West Coast. Asked when he was in the DCE program, what was your greatest learning experience? He answered, that's easy. My biggest failure. And he told the story of that night with his youth group when God made him limp. Folks, God meets us in the midst of the most difficult moments of our lives to teach us that Jesus was really speaking the truth when he said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, in preparing for this sermon, I came across this and said, someone once asked, how can you tell if someone has met God? That's easy, came the answer. He walks with a limp. Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.